We want blessings of comfort and acclaim and success and all of the things that the world would call a blessing. Every other hard thing that I've ever gone through in my life has been tools, God's sharpest tools in heaven's drawer to chisel me into greater Christ-likeness and to really break, melt, mold, and chisel me um, in my process of sanctification. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Hi, this is Colleen Swindall Thompson, Director of Reframing Ministries at Insight for Living, and also the host of this podcast, Reframing Ministries, where we want to give you help, hope, provide healing, and offer some humor in the midst of everyday life. Today, we are continuing my conversation with Diane Doko Kim on her book, Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for the Special Need Parent. The last time that we talked, we were talking all about the diagnosis of her son with multiple disabilities, how marriages can survive through the challenges of being shattered individually and yet coming together and being united as a family in the midst of struggles that are way too big for you to handle. Um, we talked about being honest with the Lord and talk and telling Him our emotions, sharing our souls with Him. That's all okay, isn't it, Diane? That's right. Absolutely. It's necessary, Colleen. In this session, we're going to be talking about um, things like depression, struggling with finding support, um, what to do when we feel like God has tricked us even more, and then how to reflect and turn or reframe what we never expected into something that has so much more purpose than you can imagine. It's like the awe-inspiring look that we get when they have reframed and rebuilt a home and they do the big grand opening. It's the most exciting part of the do-it-yourself shows. (laughs) So Diane, in one section called The Fellowship of Others, you write... Every evening, my husband would return home to find children running amok in various stages of undress, which that's—I've been there so many times. (laughs) Toys and Tupperware littered and ransacked around the house. No comforting aromas of dinner greeted a weary man who had worked long hours and came home to food on the table. The scent of neglect and indifference came from a cold and lifeless kitchen. Meanwhile, his disheveled wife— sat stone-faced, pounding away at the computer, frustrated, bewildered. And thankfully, he did not ask the question, hi, honey, what did you do all day? (laughs) My question is, how do, how, what can husbands do as they walk into the door and are dealing with a wife who's upside down, inside out, and as angry as I'll get out? What can husbands do to support? Um, I think looking back, probably some of the best things that my husband did for me was, one, recognize that a lot of times I just need to vent. I don't need solutions. And this is probably a very classic tension between all husbands and wives. Um, But I think just special needs or any kind of stress on a family just ups the ante for anything. So any principle that applies in marriage or parenting, it's just on steroids when you've got something like trauma or disability or some other kind of stressor in the family. Um, So a lot of times just recognizing I don't need 
solutions. If I'm venting about insurance or that we got declined by this or that or the other, I mean, I'm the one that's been dealing with it all day. There's really very little that he could probably contribute into the solution. Um, but just know that I just need a safe place to vent. Um, so that, and I think the other thing I really appreciate just on a practical level for my husband was he was all in. He was all in. He took a little bit longer coming around the bend emotionally to engage because, again, he's wired differently and he processes things differently. But um, I was, I know, and I recognize that I was uniquely blessed in this because a lot of couples do struggle with this. He was completely in. He rolled up his sleeves and got involved. Um, Yes, like most couples, you know, one parent stays at home to be the full-time caregiver and he was out there, you know, making the money to pay for everything. But when he came home, he was fully engaged. What did the therapist say? What do I need to do now? Um, and, and to his credit, and I know that that's God working in his heart. So emotionally knowing what I need as a wife, just a safe place to vent, work things out. You know, a lot of times moms, we, or women, we process and work things out verbally, um, and practically being engaged. Um, and I think just and we learned this the hard way. I'm giving you the pretty up. This was what we did. But like I said, we stabbed our way through the dark <laughs> and stabbed each other trying to figure out we can't keep doing this. You know, yeah. um, you know, what's that Einstein expression? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the same, you know, better results. Exactly. So a lot of this was just trial and error. Um, and I think. Uh, like, you know, as soon as he would walk in the door, I would just go, oh, thank God you're here. And I would throw a child at him or throw something that was burning. And the poor guy has been working, you know, 10 hours a day trying to just pay the bills, the many bills that I am racking up. And so um, I think just even giving each other a buffer. So I knew the minute he walked, he's already been fighting his own battles for 10 hours a day. And so just give him at least 30 minutes to just even change and take his tie off and just kind of decompress himself. So uh, let him be in the bedroom for 30 minutes. Or when he pulls up into the house, he might sit in the car for 20 minutes just to decompress and pray and, you know, take a breather for round two. That's going to start the minute he walks through the door. And so recognizing that we have both been fighting hard the minute we see each other at six o'clock um, and allowing a little bit of transition. But um, yeah, I really appreciate that he was fully on board with me to the best ability that he could even physically, um, you know, with partnering with parenting and advocating and all of that. Well, it's really interesting that you say that because in my experience, I did not have a partner that was that had joined me in the process and went to right. all the doctor's appointments alone and all yeah. the IEP meetings, all the stuff. <clears throat> and as we talk about disabilities, if you're listening and you don't have anyone that is in your life with a disability, it doesn't have a, doesn't mean you have to have a disability to have an argument with your husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means that there's stress involved and stress right. or trauma or crisis of any kind does alter the way that we communicate. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I learned um, – was essential because in my marriage, I've now remarried, obviously, and my husband has adopted Jonathan. And we have learned ways of really getting through some of the tricky parts because Jonathan's diagnoses seem to continue to come up. Um, There's more of them at random. And I process like you do. I verbally process. And he he looks at me with those wide eyes, deer in the headlights, like, what am I going to do with her? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with all of that that she's just unloaded? Exactly. In <laughs> fact, do I even remember hearing any of it? So I would say one of the things that was essential was knowing what I needed mm. and being able to communicate that because he can't read our, he couldn't read my mind. Yes, your I mean. mate or friend cannot read your mind. Don't assume that they know. Right. The truth is you need to figure out what you need and then say, 
I don't need you to fix this. I don't need you to run out and do this or that. I just need you to sit and listen, or I need to have space to cry. Can you just hold me right now? Yes. And we know what we don't want. We just often don't analyze what do we want. Right. So make a list of what do I need at the end of the day. And then another part of this is to apologize. Mm. There are so many times my tongue has been so harsh mm. that I've only added insult to injury by saying something that I wish I could take back. Apologize. Say, I am so very sorry that I spoke to you that way. Mm. I'm stressed. I, I'm not in my in the place that I'd like to be, and I'm taking it out on you. Will you will you forgive me for that? Because a lot of the transformation process is also called learning to become humble. Mm. And that is that's so, so essential. And I think you're exactly right. Giving someone space when he comes home from work, which is exactly what my husband does. He comes home and he has about 20 minutes to decompress. Mm -hmm. He just goes in the room, closes the door. I don't have the expectation unless I tell him I really am needing you to be available when you come home. And I let him know that ahead of time. But there has to be communication between the two of you where he says, I had a really stressful day. I can't hear that right now. Mm. And let's talk about that maybe in an hour. But you're right. We've got to pull the cart together. Um, You do have a section which fits perfectly into the reframing process where you're calling the chapter. And these are very short chapters, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Intentionally. Uh, I love it. Jesus plus. And part of it is what Johnny has written about where she says— Disappointment has a way of dredging our unspoken expectations to the surface. When a dreaded diagnosis is confirmed, Jesus hasn't compiled with our expectations of a, quote, good God. If God is good, how could he permit this is a question that we ask. We feel betrayed. We feel God has disregarded us. He's not listening to our prayers. And subconsciously, we have the expectation of Jesus Plus, Johnny calls it the little rabbit's foot in the back of our pockets. Lord, I've done all this for you, and this is what I get in return? How did you resolve that tension? Um, I think I I actually talk about, um, you know, when John the Baptist is put into prison and then his disciples go up to Jesus like, is pretty much, is this it? Are you the one that we're, are you going to do something about this? <laughs> and isn't that the heart that we have, right? It's like, well, aren't you you're claiming to be the Messiah here? Why don't you do some Messiah-y things like I'm expecting? <laughs> Messiah-y. That is so classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're going to come through on this or not? Are, are you what we're expecting or is this it? And so, I mean, isn't that the heart of all of us, when something happens, we feel imprisoned by a certain set of circumstances. We have no which, no control to escape. We're like, hello, Jesus, you're going to come through. You're going to fix this. You're going to release us. Are you going to heal this? Um, or is this it? Because we have something in us that, okay, if you're God and you love us and you're, you know, you're a God who blesses, shouldn't you be blessing? But a lot of times we're expecting blessing on our terms. That's exactly And the word right. of God is pretty clear that God defines blessing completely differently than we would. Um, in God's economy, 
anything that's a blessing is something that's going to chisel us and mold us and drive us closer to Christ-likeness. Ouch. Yeah, right? Ouch. We don't like that. We want blessings of comfort and acclaim and success and all of the things that the world would call a blessing. Um, But God's economy is completely different. His objective is not our happiness, but our holiness. And being God, he can repurpose even pain, even suffering as tools. Um, And I can honestly say that our son's autism and every other hard thing that I've ever gone through in my life has been tools, God's sharpest tools in heaven's drawer to chisel me into greater Christ-likeness and to really break melt, mold, and chisel me um, in my process of sanctification as a tool in my discipleship. So um, I think it's to recognize that we ourselves have these misplaced expectations of who we think God is. I mean, Judas did that too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, shouldn't you be messiahing in a way that I think you should? Um, And so, yeah, just but to surrender those, that the way God wants to bless us is going to be different than the way we may be demanding it. Mm. It's interesting, my son and I, and as you're speaking, I'm feeling super convicted, but my son and I were talking the other day about um, this very thing. Someone that he was talking with was feeling rather disappointed by God. You know, mm-hmm. Lord, I've done all these things, and this is what I get in return. Right. And I'm thinking, the Pharisees and the Sadducees expected a king. Mm-hmm. And what do we think of when we say the word king? A, a crown, a right. royal coat, a scepter. I mean, power and all these earthly images come to mind. I don't think they expected the king to come from an unwed mother who at that time should have been stoned or killed. And Joseph had every right, according to their culture, to walk away, Mm -hmm. um, to land in a manger, to be told there's really no room for you here. So you're going to have that baby out there where everything stinks. Yeah. That is the king. Right. And He's I, constantly overturning our expectations, right? <laughs> he is. And so as we refra- reframe our yeah. perspective, we have to examine our expectations and the words that we use. A king, Jesus, came, yes, as a baby mm-hmm. in swaddling clothes and was put not in that perfect little darling crib with that little blanket and all the colors of the rainbow in the room. It was in a stable. Mm. And so if you're struggling today with your expectations or feeling disappointed, my question is, what expectations have you had? And I want to challenge you to go to the Word of God and find out what He says about your thoughts and about the truth. Um, The end of the chapter, Johnny writes, which I love, she says, and for those who aren't familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, who was a quadriplegic from a diving accident that happened 69, well, she is 69 now, Mm -hmm. but it happened years and years ago, 1967. From that accident, sitting in a wheelchair, unable to move everything except her head, she writes, my wheelchair was the key to seeing All of this happened. Johnny and Friends, an international ministry for the disabled, authoring over 50 books and being a guest on radio programs and interviews, speaking to countless audiences and learning to write and paint with her mouth. 
These things showed up and proved that God's power is always best in my weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside. And I also want to add about Johnny's story. Not only was it quadriplegia, but there's been cancer, right. chronic pain, and it takes hours to get ready in the morning. And yet somehow she's able to say, I'm thankful that I have not been healed. Sometimes for me, Diane, that's a, that's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Do, you ever re, do you ever have to revisit that? All the time. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I feel so much better now. <laughs> All the time. Um, you know, we're talking about a devastation that struck, um, what, like 14 years ago now. Um, but it's never one and done because God is never one and done with us. Um, discipleship is lifelong until we cross the threshold of getting to heaven. Um, And so God is constantly challenging me. God is constantly allowing me to get into situations where I'm just like, okay, again or more. (laughs) Right. And so I can never, he never lets me rest on yesterday's testimonies. Um, I'm even going through stuff now where I'm like, really? Okay. You're kidding. I couldn't I, I couldn't relate more. <laughs> right. And so, but I'm thankful because these overwhelming situations constantly keep me at the foot of the cross. I can never feel like I have arrived as a Christian or as a ministry leaver. Um, I'm always desperate. <laughs> I'm always humbled, like, okay. Um, so I'm glad God keeps growing me and growing us. Um because his objective is Christ-likeness. And so that's going to be a lifelong process. That's really good. Diane, let me ask you this. Um, what kind of person would you have become had the Lord chosen to let your plan unfold the way you wanted? Oh, Colleen, this is such an easy question for me to answer. I am, but for the grace of God, I would have been a Korean Paris Hilton. A what? A Korean Paris Hilton. <laughs> That cracks me up because both of my kids are very familiar with the the um, Eastern culture, and there's the code of honor, <laughs> and shame is enormous. Yes, and just knowing because I was raised um, just in a doting family, I was a spoiled princess. I really didn't have very many struggles growing up, and I just I was very shallow. I was just very self centered. Um, you know, as long as I had something shiny, I was good. And I really didn't have much compassion for the sufferings of other people. I mean, this is not an indictment on Paris Hilton. I'm talking more about myself. But just in the sense that um, I really had no sufferings, no struggles. I was well taken care of. And I really didn't care about anybody else. Hmm. Um, even in the, when it came to people who were disabled, I clearly remember I had the kind of, ooh, I, I, I don't want to make eye contact with them. I don't know how to relate to them. Their lives are so much different. Do I make eye contact? Do I hold the door open for them or not? Is that condescending? And I just didn't want to deal with it. Hmm. So, you know, kids that were in the trailer at the back of the school campus, I could just not deal with them. And so I could have easily... It's so clear to me who I would have been. I would have settled easily for country club Christianity. I would have been a country club Christian. Hmm. I have no doubt of that, that that is what God has delivered me from, a life of just comfort seeking, um, having my needs met, uh, just being, you know, even being comfortable in church and having my own needs met, my own little girlfriend group. Um, I absolutely know that God has used this 
to break, shatter, reframe who I am, um, and to redeem me and to repurpose me for something so much greater than just living for my own comforts. So I clearly have a sense of who I could have, would have been, were it not for God reframing disability into the greatest blessing and greatest tool towards my sanctification. That is so true. I think hitting pride um, yeah. is one of the first things that happens. In the book, you mention an experience around Christmas where you were going to an event and your son was having a massive behavioral issue and meltdown and just flooded. And you just, how did you handle that? How did others handle that? What Talk to me about that experience. Oh, boy. This was early on, right after our son had gotten diagnosed. And so I still didn't have a clear sense of the difference between a meltdown, which is triggered by sensory overload, and a tantrum, which is a behavioral thing. And, you know, he was three at the time. And so we're new to this. And so we walked into this theme park that was decorated with all sorts of Christmas lights. And we thought it was going to be a great family get-together for Christmas. And so we had my extended family drive up from Los Angeles, and we're going to rendezvous there and have a great, wonderful Christmas together. Mm. No, not exactly. (laughs) I'm just hearing bright lights, loud (laughs) noise, sensory issues. You know what? Girl, you just got to hold a piece of dynamite. Oh, man. We just walked into it. We just stepped right into it. And so sure enough, two steps in, we had paid our admission fee, and our son just completely lost it. He was just so overwhelmed. And my husband, who was six feet tall and very muscular, was wrestling with our son, um, trying to keep him contained. Meanwhile, everybody's walking by, and I can see it in their eyes. Oh, my gosh. Worst parents in the world. The judgment, you know, and all of that. And so... It's just not working no matter how we try. And so my husband and I just made the executive decision that he's going to go back to the car with our son. So he took our screaming, flailing son back to the car, to the minivan, and they just kind of, they were there. And the rest of the family just kind of did this obligatory sprint to the park. Worst, wonderful Christmas ever. (laughs) Worst, wonderful Christmas ever. And my husband shared with me later on that in that car, while my son was sweating and flailing and kicking and screaming and pounding at the car... Um, my husband was doing the same thing before God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Kicking and screaming and just so overwhelmed, sensory overwhelmed. This is too much. I can't handle this. And feeling oppressed. (laughs) Yes. Um, But also experiencing that is a picture of grace. Just like my husband had our son's best interest in mind and recognized that his wiring is broken and he's overwhelmed and he wanted to take him to a place of safety with his father and the upholstery of our minivan (laughs) away from judging eyes. That was that sacred space for my husband as well to do that before his heavenly father. And so that was a picture of grace. And so again, just giving ourselves permission to grieve and to rage and to bring everything before God, knowing that His grace is big enough to absorb all of that and to overlook our sin, our anger, our bitterness, and to see our need, our need for an Abba who's going to hold us and keep us safe. So for someone who is on the outside, has never seen a sensory overload meltdown, what would have been helpful? I have found... It depends on the situation, but instead of judgment, sometimes, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do to help? Um, And sometimes you could just tell by a person's countenance or the way they're going about it. Hmm. Um, I think just that, just 
compassion, being willing to be there and say, is there anything I can do to help? I think practically, sometimes the answer is yes. Please watch out for my other child. Yeah, go <laughs> grab, sometimes the, yeah, grab him. Go grab my three-year-old <laughs> who's somewhere in, in the frozen section right now by now. <laughs> um, yeah, just willing to step in. I, I, I think it's very simple. Just is there anything I can do to help? I'm really willing to help. Is there anything I can do for you hmm. in that situation? And, you know, sometimes it's not, there aren't even words. Sometimes it's just picking up the purse that's been dumped out because everything falls out because you're carrying everything. Yeah. Um, and it's dropping the expectations that we have to behave a certain way when we're at church. Yeah. Just if I can say one thing to each person listening, it's, drop expectations of how we're supposed to be at church. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how long it took for someone to get to church. That's right. It sometimes took us three hours to get there because clothes weren't fitting right and seams were uncomfortable. And and then we had bathroom issues. And, and it was I was worn out and didn't even want to go to church. Yeah. So consider the other person and maybe – what they have gone through, you have no idea. And then just be available. Um, another thing that you wrote on, Diane, some of the questions that are very good to ask as in the reframing process as we examine what do I believe? Because when we're shattered, our faith is tethering, holding on by a string. Mm. I think some of these questions that you ask are profound. What feels like imprisonment or limitations on your life today? What greater work is God accomplishing through these chains? And you had just written on Paul um, writing to the Philippians and how he found joy when he was chained to a prison guard. What greater gifts might he be cultivating in the confines of your parenting? To those of you who are going places like doctor's offices, therapy events, um, day programs, meeting people that you would never meet. One of the biggest reframes for me was I would have never met this person Mm. had I not had Jonathan. And perhaps God has brought me to this place because the people here don't know him. And I want to steward what he has put in my life well. Mm -hmm. So instead of resenting where I'm being put, it's finding what little nugget of gold is God wanting me to bring to this person or to this place or to this program because I wouldn't be here otherwise. That's right. Were there were there um, circumstances where you thought, I can't believe I have to go and do this, and then you were ministered to? Yeah. Um, you know, as you were sharing, Colleen, it's I was thinking, you know, we've been in this journey for about 16 years now. And when we first got the diagnosis, obviously it was the worst thing that ever happened to us. It was the worst thing that we'd have ever imagined. Um, And I remember at that time when people would say, oh, um, this is a blessing. And I would just be like, yeah, no, it's not. Um, (laughs) You know, and ironically, I would meet other seasoned special needs parents who would say, it doesn't feel good now, but this is going to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was still hard to take, but somehow because it was them saying it, especially these parents who had to walk through it, mm-hmm. it held a little more credence. And it's <clears throat> ironic that, you know, at the time 
when I first got the diagnosis, I'm like, oh, those folks are just delusional. They're just, (laughs) they're nuts. They're just making things up, trying to convince themselves. But ironically, I'm, I'm either crazy, lying or delusional, or God really is that real. Cause I do say, and I do have that conviction that this is the best thing that God could have ever let happen to us in his hand and repurposed into a blessing. Um, you know, just like you said, when we're taking our kids to doctor's appointments, when we're fighting with insurance or school districts or whatever, um, it's ironic that 16 years out, I can now say that had not my child been born this way or had a disability, I would not have ever realized how hard I could pray, Mm. how fiercely I could cry, Mm. how much I could fight, how much I could speak up, what kind of voice God had given me, the passions that I have in me. Um, If it were not for my child and the set of circumstances that we have and being in a position where I have to advocate for him and where I'm trying to maximize his potential, I would have never experienced how much God was using the situation to maximize mine. Mm -hmm. And so this is how 16 years out, I can say the thing that I thought would destroy us and my faith in God is the very thing a redeeming God can repurpose into a blessing to draw us even closer to him and realize the truths of the scriptures that I thought were completely irrelevant to this. But now looking through it, realizing God's word has everything to do with the gritty realities of special needs parenting or whatever we may go through. Because I think when trauma strikes, we all have the same questions. Why did God let this happen? Is he going to fix this? If he's not going to fix this, how am I going to trust him? And what does the Bible, this 2,000-year-old you know, year old book, have to do with what I'm going through today? But if we let him um, reframe how we position things, how we look at our situations, how we look at God's word, how we consider blessing, um, ironically, it can be the best thing uh, that ever happened to us because we have a redeeming God. Um, that's the only kind of God he knows how to be. Right. <clears throat> Um, I would never, ever be doing what I'm doing today right. if it weren't for my son right? and if it weren't for the struggles that we have had. And if you're struggling and you're hearing this conversation with Diane, we want you to know he's going to redeem that. I don't know when and I don't know how. And a lot of the redemption process may come in heaven. Hmm. It's not on our timetable. But he will use it in a way that is more profound than you can ever imagine. So we have to keep hanging on. One more thing I want to ask you, Diane, and this is going to be touching on one of my biggest struggles because we've been at this now for 21 years. Mm. And there is so much fear in um, what will happen when we die. Right. My kids feel that. I feel that. I know the Lord says, do not be afraid. In fact, in the chapter you talk about, you know, Mary not, not questioning or worrying the Holy, or worrying when she heard, you're going to bear the Son of God. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is not in my plan. Yeah, how are you going to call this blessed and highly favored? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the fact that I'm not married and I haven't had sex and I'm pregnant, yeah. I think they're going to look at me a little weird. But She wasn't afraid. But for me, because my son has been assaulted, because he has been bullied, Mm. because I read the statistics on day programs and on government systems, 
I have so much fear. In fact, you also talk about Jesus and Peter. You say, he handed Peter the keys to the kingdom, who Peter fumbled. He he named him the rock on whom he would build his church. And yet, and yet you said, which I love, personally, I would have vetted more stringently, <laughs> selecting from a much more highly qualified pool of applicants. But God chose Peter. What do we do as parents when that fear creeps in and we feel like we're going to be handing our child off to someone? First of all, I, I also know we don't know when he's coming back. We yeah. don't know how long the Lord will allow us to have the children that he's given us. So should it be that they outlive us? Mm-hmm. Can you speak into the heart of those parents who are living in fear? Maybe it isn't even a disability. Maybe it's a child that has walked away from the Lord, and the parent is sitting there going, I'm going to die, and they will never walk back to the Lord. Mm. What do I do? Isn't this the biggie for all of us, right? That question of, I can never die. Yeah. (laughs) I can never die because what's going to happen to my child? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to show them the way of God? Um, I mean, I think for all of us who are special needs parents, especially the day after we get the diagnosis, we have a million questions, but the very next question for all of us, it doesn't matter what the disability is, is what's going to happen to my kid? Who's going to take care of my child after I'm gone? I can never die. And so I really wrestled with this because I know we all wrestle with this. And so, um, again, it comforts me to know that The God of the universe, Jesus, being in very nature, God, understands how I feel. Um, You know, it says in the word that, you know, he doesn't give any temptation that we can't bear or he's never gone through something that's unknown to man. And honestly, I struggle with that. I'm like, really, God, you don't know what it's like to raise a child with a disability. You don't know what it's like to fight with school districts and insurance. You're God. You snap your fingers and it happens. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really struggled with that scripture. Like, how is that true? How is that true? But when I really revisited the scriptures again, for example, um, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, he also left behind his mother, who in that culture as a widow was one of the most vulnerable people in society. And so he knows what it's like to have to surrender somebody who is so dear, so precious, so vulnerable. Um, he could have said, uh, God, I, I can't die because my mom is alone. Um, but he didn't. He was able to surrender his mom into the care of someone he loved. Um, Probably not somebody who's so well-equipped, but he was able to surrender. And he did that with the church as well. Just like you said, um, the the quote in the book, he handed the keys to the kingdom on Peter? Hmm. I mean, this is like the most fumble-prone. The guy was always screwing up and, you know, goofing off in the mouth (laughs) and, you know, saying stuff before he should have. You know, it's like, you should have thought this through, Peter. He gave the keys of the kingdom to him, you know? Um, And so Jesus even walked that for us of surrendering this new infant church into the hands of people who were really not qualified. How could he do that? Because he was so, first of all, convicted in the purposes and the sovereignty of God. And Jesus knew that he had done everything that he had been given charter to do while he walked this earth. 
And so he could surrender the results into a sovereign God. So he knew I have done everything that I was supposed to do in my flesh while I walk this planet. The rest is on God. And so that comforts me tremendously. So it gives me marching orders. Number one, I do everything within my power, whether that is conservatorships and setting up trust funds and, you know, all of that. I do everything within my human power to set him up, to surround him with community and all of that. But really, the rest is surrendering and trusting in the sovereignty of God, that he's got this figured out and he cares for my son in his future far more than I ever could. And I was just a steward for the years that I had him. And so the rest of my life is going to be balancing that tension because, Colleen, I'm a control freak. I'm a mom. (laughs) You know, I want to move heaven and earth around him. Um, But it's that tension. And this is the very vehicle through which God disciples me. Diane, you do what you can do as Jeremy's earthly mom, but the rest you surrender to your heavenly father who's got this. And don't try to do God's job for him. So my tension until the day I get to heaven is managing that balance. What part is mine and what part do I need to leave to God Mm -hmm. to do what only God can do? You know, I think so much of this comes down to reminding ourselves Um, The Lord sent his son, handed him over to very inadequate, very ill-equipped people like this world. We killed him. We killed the son of God. And he did it because he, which is so paradoxical, out of love for a greater purpose. There was a bigger picture. If you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus I want you to know he sent his son into this world because he loves you. He knows exactly where you are. There is no question that you need him and his arms are open for you. Regardless of where you are, what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, it's his love that is reaching out to you. And in this moment of crisis, he's calling you to reach back up to him, to to gather strength under his wings and to say, Jesus, I can't do this. And so I need you as my savior. Please come into my life and help me move forward because I can't do it alone. This is all a wreck. It's a mess. Mm -hmm. Step into my mess and let's move forward together. And he does that. Diane, he's done that in your life. He continues to do that in your life, doesn't he? That's right. Amen. Again and again. Well, Diane, thank you so much for being a part of this. And to all of you who are listening to Reframing Ministries, I want you to know that Diane is available, and so so are we here at Insight for Living. If you contact reframingministries at insight.org, I will get that email and I will respond to you. Reframingministries.com is how you can find the site with articles and our podcasts and some quotes. Sometimes when we're stressed, we just need a sentence to hang on to for the day, don't we, Diane? That's right. As we close out, I just thank you again for listening to um, the Reframing Ministries podcast. And if you would just take a second to rate and review this, because we would love to get this information into uh, someone's heart, yours, or someone you may not know who is hurting or in crisis right now. Your rate and review will help that happen. Thank you so much again, and may the Lord continue to walk with you, Diane, and may the Lord continue to walk with all of us as we fumble through this life doing the best that we can. Amen. Thank you so much, Colleen.